That was just beautiful, uh, a lovely ministry and very appropriate to our story this morning about Hagar. It's lovely to be back with you. I feel that I have shrunk because I had to get a stool to stand on <laughs> since I was last here, but it's obviously just what I'm used to. I needed a bit of height from my, my notes. Um, so I have just returned from a trip into the Israel wilderness. I was with Desi Maxwell, and I'm sure maybe some of you have maybe gone on a trip with Desi. He only organizes the word in the wilderness um, every two years now. And the wilderness is the physical context of the setting of our words from Hagar. When we traveled, we uh, went right down to Elat. Israel is a very thin and narrow country. And then we journeyed up through the middle of the Negev desert to Jerusalem. So it's about 300 kilometers just to give you the, the context. But the scale of the scenery is breathtaking and very majestic. And when you're in the wilderness, it's impossible not to be humbled by your own sense of fragility. Um, life and death is very present all the time in the wilderness. And you feel very small in the vastness of the landscape that God has created. And then as you reflect, it's so rich biblically because of the elemental wonder when you reflect on the Israelites journeying through the wilderness by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and Elijah being fed a meal in the wilderness. There's so much rich imagery. When we were in the landscape learning about God and learning about the, um, some of the riches of the teaching, you realize that everything has significance. Every plant, every sand dune, every living creature is noticed and everything becomes relevant to survival because it's all a matter of life and death. And one of the things our guide said was, in the desert, we have over 1,000 shades of, and I thought he was gonna say colors, but he said brown. We've over 1,000 shades of brown. And it's totally true because the Israel desert is that sort of color, slightly different to the Egyptian desert maybe. But it's such a place of God's glory where ordinary people have amazing encounters with the living God. Um, the picture shown here is right in the middle of that desert called Mitzpah Ramon. And it took my breath away because the day before we had visited the tabernacle, we had made a little souvenir with different colored sands and when we arrived here, he said, look over this wall. You can see as far as the eye sees to the mountains of Jordan. And down below, you can see all the different colors of the sand. And this is a God-shaped crater, a heart-shaped crater. And I put it on my Facebook and said, that is just wow. Even God likes to draw hearts in the sand. But let's turn our attention to Hagar. She's more associated with the Egyptian desert. Um, and for many characters in the Bible, the wilderness, as we know, is a place of great trial and struggle. But at the same time, it's also a place of great encounter with God, a sense of inner revelation. When we go into the wilderness, we are fully equipped, maybe with a rucksack, our walking poles, our bottles of water. 
They reckon that you need about five liters a day if you're going to do a long trek through the desert. So you can see where this life-death thing comes in. And yet, this is the place where we are introduced to Hagar. And it is God's angel who actually tells us her name. When we meet her in the desert, she is at rock bottom. Her very name means flight. Um, and that sort of becomes played out in her life. Because Sarah, we are told that Sarah had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. And she was a slave, therefore. And we can read in Genesis 12, 16, because of this relationship between Abraham and Sarah, they had gone to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. Abraham was trying to protect Sarah, and so he concealed her identity. Well, actually, he was trying to protect his own life. He thought the Egyptians would kill him. And so he passed Sarah off as her sister. And because of that, Pharaoh looked kindly on him. And so in Genesis 12, 16, we're given this sort of inventory of gifts that he gave to Abraham, sheep and oxen and donkeys, and then it says men and women slaves and camels. So it's not that big of a stretch to assume that Hagar was on this inventory list. And the poor girl, she probably woke up one morning and said, right, you've been sent, you've, now, you've got to go off now and wander into the wilderness. Hagar is like the invisible woman. She's so small and insignificant alongside the larger figures in her story. The legendary Abraham and Sarah. Hagar is just this messy complication in a major plot involving her mistress. And as if her gender and ethnicity were not enough to complicate her life, she is a foreign Gentile, she is a slave, and then she becomes a surrogate mother. So when the scene that we looked at comes to be, Hagar has been living with Abraham and Sarah for about 10 years. They have been promised that God will build a nation through them, but Sarah is well past childbearing age and is tired of waiting. And so she hatches a plan, which was fairly common in those days. In that culture, polygamy was common. So she decides that their heir should be birthed through the maidservant Hagar. So Hagar has no say in the matter. We read that Elizabeth took, or Sarah took her and gave her to Abraham. She's dragged into it all and has no choice. She belongs to her master and mistress and they can do with her as they please. Hagar knows that Elizabeth can't have a child. Everyone knew. The slaves would have talked probably about this great promise and how on earth was this going to happen when Abraham and Sarah were so old. And there was even more talk that God, their master, Abraham, believed. The one whom he left home and family and packed up to follow God, this special child was supposed to give him descendants too numerous to count. So the plan goes ahead. Hagar finds out she's pregnant. And so she begins to feel special because she has been able to do what Sarah couldn't. Finally, she is her master's wife, not just a slave. And she started to behave badly. 
and reaps the consequences for that. That's when we entered the story. Sarah begins to treat her badly. She becomes mean. She's jealous. She knew that Hagar was carrying something special, something that she had only dreamed of. Imagine the sense of resentment and the frustration that Sarah felt. Hagar, in the other time, probably felt power for the first time in her life and feels threatened and appeals to Abraham, who is very passive in it all, and says, it's up to you. I'm washing my hands. And so Sarah, or Hagar, runs away in the direction of her homeland into the desert. Well, as we'll see, she couldn't outrun God. And trying to solve problems ourselves, like Abraham and Sarah, rather than waiting on God's mercy, always has consequences. I think it's a lesson for us as well that Hagar was living with a family of believers, but she had been totally put off by them. They treated her badly, and so God had to take her out of that situation in order to have an encounter with him. I was just thinking, sometimes we grow up in situations I know, I've met so many people in Northern Ireland who have grown up in a family of believers, and they may not have been treated badly, but they were scundered by overkill, maybe, or some of the rules and regulations they had to live by. And God has to take you out of those situations to give you free freedom so that you can have an encounter with him. The real beauty of this story is the appearance of the angel of the Lord to Hagar. This woman is an outsider. She's a pagan. She doesn't believe in Abraham's God. She's a woman, totally not counted in that society. And yet, God is going to meet her. She's pregnant, she's alone, and she runs into the desert. Now, from what I've told you, you know, she's not going to last very long. She's suffering mentally and emotionally and she's probably thinking she's going to run into the desert and die. So she's in deep personal crisis. Does she have any plans? Has she thought about this? How is she going to make her way back to Egypt? We find her alone at the end of herself. Her past is painful and her future is very uncertain. And this angel of God, so it's, it's really God's voice speaking to her, speaks to her four times. Hagar was someone who was invisible to everyone else, but she's in profoundly important to God. And this misery and despair that drove her into the wilderness drove her into the safe arms of God's angel. And she finds a well. The one thing that you absolutely need in the desert is water. And the angel of the Lord finds her. So that suggests he was searching and seeking for her and says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? So interesting, Abraham and Sarah in the story never address Hagar by her name. But here she is, this invisible woman in complete distress and crisis, running into the desert to die, carrying a child, 
And an angel appears and calls her by her name. Not only that, this angel knows everything about her. You can only imagine the deep impact that such recognition meant to her. The encouragement that it would have had in her heart. And Hagar can only bring herself to answer the first part of the question that she's run away from her mistress because we realise that she really doesn't know where she's going. And in our sense of things, we're reading this and thinking, oh, this is the perfect moment. The angel's going to come and it's going to free her from slavery. And we're shocked by the words, go back to your mistress and submit to her. With all that we know today in this culture of abuse and domestic violence, those are very harsh instructions. They jump off the page at us. But we have to keep it in the context of the story. We know that this is not the way that Hagar's instincts instincts were leading her because that meant returning to a situation that was miserable and even maybe dangerous. We shouldn't interpret this message as a reason for anyone to return to an abusive situation. We have to see it in the context of God's overarching plan. And it is amazing what the angel tells Hagar. He tells her that her and her unborn child are part of God's promises to Abraham. She's not peripheral to God's plan. He has a plan for her too. And this is incredible because Hagar is the only woman in the whole of the Bible who receives a promise from God that she is going to have descendants. And it it echoes the covenant given to Abraham that he would have descendants more numerous than the stars. And it's also a strong indicator to us who are sitting now 2,000, 4,000 years later as the Gentile people, as the converts grafted into God's story, this is the strong indicator, even in chapter 16 in the Bible, that God's plan all along has been to include Gentiles among his people. So Hagar receives this wonderful message that this child she is carrying is precious. Sarah targeted all her resentment, her hatred, her jealousy, made her feel the child was worthless. The angel tells her that her and her child will survive. And so, emboldened and empowered by this, by the encouraging words the angel tells her, that is what puts hope back into her heart. And far from feeling frustrated by the unfairness of it all, she returns with a new hope because she had been seen by God and had been richly blessed by God. God sees us, no matter what wilderness we find ourselves in. And there are plenty of wilderness experiences that we experience as we journey through life. Plenty of times when we feel isolated, completely alone, insignificant, There are inevitable moments when we're surrounded by loving family and friends, but we can still feel alone, in pain, suffering with our grief, bereaved, or we feel 
alone when we have to go through something like surgery or a divorce or losing our life partner, going through day by day physical pain with fibromyalgia or ME, those sleepless nights, God sees us. Those tears we cry in the privacy of our room. What we wouldn't give for a visitation of an angel of the Lord. We are only 16 chapters into the Bible. And Hagar's encounter with God is so intimate. It really stands out as something remarkable. She calls him... El Roy, the God who sees me. God had sought her out and cared for her. And then the name she gives the well commemorates her encounter with God, highlighting his love and concern. Beer Lahai Roy, Roy, which means well of the living one who sees and cares for me. So what can we take from this story? What is the importance? Well, This invisible woman is so important. She's the first woman in the Bible to be visited by an angel from God. And so she's like a forerunner of Mary, who will also hear an angel tell her that she will be with child. She's the only person in the Bible who gives God a name, and the name that expresses her encounter with God. And then she also receives a special revelation. She receives more information than Abraham and Sarah have. Abraham repeats, God repeats the covenant to others. But with Hagar, he expands his promise in a private appearance to an unknown outsider. An Egyptian, a slave, a woman outside of the faith. And that intimacy is truly encouraging and astounding to us. So I talked about the wilderness that I've been in just recently. That was a physical place that I visited. But I also speak to you having come through a physical wilderness in my health. Two and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer And you think when you get news like that, that it will be a short time, that it will just be, oh, I'll be back to work in six months. And that has been a wilderness. And actually, the time since treatment, I'm one year post-treatment in January, the last year and a bit have been so much harder and so much more of a wilderness than the time actually going through the treatment because juggling your faith, psychologically, what you've gone through, all of that fatigue. I've identified with people who suffer from fatigue and ME and fibromyalgia. It has been a wilderness. And I only realized the extent to which I had journeyed through that wilderness when I went to the hairdressers this week. And for the first time in two and a half years, I was able to have color in my hair. Small things become very significant when you journey through the wilderness. And when I tried it before and it didn't work because of the chemotherapy, 
And when the hairdresser took me to the sink and washed all the colour off and brought me back to the mirror, I broke down spontaneously into floods of tears. And she thought that I hated it. <laughs> so she was having a panic and I went, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I couldn't stop sobbing. And I said, you don't know what this means to me because I haven't been able to look at myself in a mirror. I haven't been able to change my Facebook picture. Because when things happen to you, it alters your identity, doesn't it? It alters how you see yourself and how God sees you. And you think differently about God. You think you've been abandoned. But you're not abandoned. God sees you. And so the hairdresser was nearly in tears as well because I just explained to her and I said, I have waited for this for two and a half years since my hair fell out. It has been a wilderness. And one of the stories we talked about in the wilderness, obviously, was Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and the 23rd Psalm. And we were led into a river valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And we gathered along the river valley and we sang together, 40 people all singing, the Lord is my shepherd in this wilderness. But as I took in the atmosphere, there was sheer rock above us, there was a mountain on this side, we were closed in. And Desi was teaching us about the valley of the shadow of death, about how the ibex and the animals have to come in to get the source of water. They need to come in and drink from the fountain. All day they can roam freely as you like in the wilderness and race about and hide under the shade of the acacia tree, but they must come in to get water. And so they have to come into a narrow place. And a narrow place is always a place of danger because they're more vulnerable. And as we were singing, the Lord is my shepherd, the griffin vultures were circling above our heads. He said, if an animal comes into this place and they are weak and they are weary, maybe they're injured, the vultures are circling, the vultures that will bring death on their prey. And he said to us, you go through narrow places in your life. Those places of wilderness where you feel the walls have closed in. The confines of your world have become a lot smaller. If you have gone through fibromyalgia or you're going through the veil of grief, you will know the sense of being closed in, hemmed in, walled by disorientation, grief, darkness, isolation, all of those things. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When you're in that valley, he's there and he has a rod and a staff to protect you. He leads you to the place where the water is sweet and he longs to restore your soul. And he sees you because you are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. And when you're in the dark valley, when you're injured, he carries you. 
and those who are carried close to the shepherd's heart hear the heartbeat of God. It's significant that Hagar names her son Ishmael because it means God hears. So God not only sees, but God hears. So maybe you want to look a little bit more into this story. Hagar has a second encounter, I don't have time, this morning, but you can read about it in Genesis 21. Maybe you want to do a little bit of research on all of the different names of God. It's so vast and so rich, the names of God that we have in the Bible. There will be one for you that will minister to you in your circumstances. So go on a little treasure hunt through God's word and see what can minister to you. But most of all, you need to come to the shepherd. You need to come to Jesus because he is the one ultimately who gives his spirit in your heart that will be with you and never leave you nor forsake you. So make time this afternoon to have a fresh encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. He is the one from whom we learn about the valley of the shadow of death, but he is the one who ultimately conquered death. And he promises us life for all eternity with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the wilderness can seem like a scary place when we apply that to our lives. Some of us have been journeying for months, maybe for years, waiting and hoping for promises to be fulfilled, waiting for healing from long-term illness, feeling abandoned. But you see us. You see everything that goes on in our lives. Your love for us is intimate. And if you can speak to an immigrant slave girl all those thousands of years ago, if you can single her out in the midst of her wilderness, what more can you do for us? And so we praise you for your mercies and we thank you for Jesus the one who walked through the valley of shadow of death and came out of the narrow place into the place of ever-ending glory, light and joy. So restore us, good shepherd, as we now celebrate the meal that Jesus prepared for us to remember all he has done for us. In his name, amen.